0: What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always, and stay tuned. After the break, we will have Oklahoma Open champion Blaine Hale, formerly of the Oklahoma Sooners. You are not going to want to miss that after the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, but Going from Sooner to Cowboy, we have to start with the former Cowboy, Victor Hovland, winning the FedEx Cup and the Tour Championship, shooting 19-under, ends up at 27-under for the golf tournament. Five-shot win over Xander Shoffley at 22-under par. Xander and Victor both played great in the final round. Hovland shoots 7-under in the final round. Xander shoots 8-under in the final round. Wyndham Clark, another former Cowboy, ends up finishing solo third place in the FedEx Cup. 16-under for the Tour Championship, 5-under in the final round. Rory solo fourth, and Patrick Cantlay solo fifth. Fellas, Victor Hovland, has just been on fire this second half of the year. He won the Memorial, then won the BMW, now wins the Tour Championship, and uh, obviously that means he wins the FedEx Cup. Fellas, I think that Victor Hovland, even though he didn't win a major, he was up there in the majors as well, he's got to be the player of the year, not only just the FedEx Cup champion. What a year from the former Cowboy.
1: The golf that we've seen these last couple weeks, guys, has been truly outstanding. For my man, Victor Holland, getting two wins in there, two of the biggest events that you can have in the world. And he's been doing it in miraculous fasting, hitting the ball exceptional off the tee, gaining more than a shot and a half in both those tournaments, gaining almost two shots approach to green in both those events, and then gaining more than a shot on the greens in both those events as well. So every single thing was great. And you're going to be asking about the chipping. Well, guess what he did this week, guys? He gained almost half a shot around the greens. He gained uh, .25 uh, around the greens for the entire event, a quarter of a shot. So anytime Victor Hovland is, has that combination where he's chipping the ball good, he's going to be just fine because he's not going to miss that many greens. You look, for example, in the final round, he hit 15 of 18 greens, hit 10 fairways. But it's just a stripe show. Second round or third round, I mean, he hit 15 greens there, hit 14 greens in the, uh, in the first and second rounds there. So he was just a ball-striking clinic, Woody. And Sam does have some validity to what he's saying. He definitely didn't get off to the best starts of the year, Hovland, didn't. But the way that he's closed this season winning the Memorial Jacks tournament, having a a top twenty at both the last majors since then, I had the T second at the p at the PJ championship and then also finished seventh at the Masters as well. So yeah, even though he did not win a major championship, I do think there is some validity that potentially he could be the player of the year. Yeah,
2: that's the tough thing about the player of the year, guys, because we forget how good John Romstar was. Okay. So you know let's remember what John Rahm did let's not forget Scotty Scheffler and that's a that's a that's probably tougher than picking the Ryder Cup team trying to figure out who the player of the year is
0: to your point Rom won four times on the PGA Tour before the Masters including the Masters and then won twice other times around the world so up until the Masters he won six times but hasn't won since so to, well, yeah, you're, you're exactly I right I
2: know but you know, you got what have you done for me lately? That's what we all want to look at. And and don't get me wrong. If you pick Scotty Scheffler, you pick John Romick, you pick Victor Hovland, I can't argue with any of you guys to say they're not the best player. Because now what we have is no longer a Tiger Woods, where it was easy to pick the best player. We've got four, or five, six of them that are really, really good. So I think it's funny if we go back to our podcast way back when when T Dub was worried that. Victor just maybe might not ever win in the state. Yeah, well, we kind of shot holes in that one. Right? That, that's a, that's an understatement. Now that he's
1: we blew so far past cumbersome. that, what is even funny?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we've we've moved a long ways past that, haven't we, t We were both, we were both, all three of us were going. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Well, yeah, he went ahead and did it in a big way. So uh, I know he's going to take. I don't know what he's going to take nowadays off, guys, whether he's just going to wait for the Ryder Cup or he's going to play again. But, boy, that golf swing and that short game and that, that confidence, golly, I'd hate to want to play him in a Ryder Cup match, wouldn't you?
0: I mean, no doubt about it. Fellas, before we get to the Ryder Cup stuff, Victor Hovland and Xander Shoffley – Shot a combined 61 on that front nine of that final round. That was the lowest opening nine by a final pairing at a tour championship in the FedEx Cup era. Um, Victor ends up winning by five shots. He started the tournament five shots ahead of Xander Shoffley. I can't help but feel like I got robbed of a great tour championship, T-Dub, with this staggered scoring system.
1: Oh, it's just an absolute criminal joke is what it is. It's truly stupid. We were talking about it earlier, right? About John Rom potentially being Player of the Year, in my opinion, he would be Player of the Year. I think the difference being that he does have that major championship. So that's why, personally, I would give it to him because you look at how well he started the year. They stuck this BS scoring system with how this last tournament works. He finished 18th in the final standings. 18th. So you are telling me, John? There's 17 players that had a better season than John Rom did in the FedEx Cup. Give me an absolute break. Yeah, I, I hate it. Yes, it, it absolutely ruined the tournament. It's ruined the tour championship, Woody. I, I vented about it pretty heavily yesterday on the radio show it, it's so frustrating it, it really despises each at my core that the end of the pga tour season is essentially a handicap tournament there are so many other ways you go about this literally the only way that you can have a worse end of the pga tour season is instead of them starting at 10 under what if they start at 30 under that's the only way it could be worse
2: <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel about that uh well I'm like you guys, to be honest with you. I think, I think it's gotten to be kind of a semi joke, but I don't think they have a choice. You know what I'm saying? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do different. You know, I, I wish I could tell you, I had a a, a crystal ball and I could fix this. I don't think any of us like it. I don't like where it is. I don't like how it ends. Um, However, until they come up with a fix, we got to just make the best of it. We do know one thing. Victor Hovland was the best golfer there. No doubt about it. He was a lot better than Scotty Scheffler. He was a little bit better than Xander Shoffley, but he's the only one. Xander's they the did shoot the same score,
0: though, there. is all I'm saying, Woody. They shot the same score. I know.
2: They did. I They shot the exact same score, and they went toe-to-toe that last day. It was fun to watch how they went toe-to-toe at each other. It really was. But... I'm just hoping there's a there's a fix here in some way, guys. I don't I don't know what it is because we're here we are again. All of us we're kind of funny because we're looking around. We're going okay. What's the tour going to be in 2024? Well, we are not real sure. So maybe they'll change all this again. I hope they do something because I don't like T you W know, it is a nail on the head. We've had a great year this golf season with Liv and all the stuff we've had, and it just seems like we just kind of ended it on a whim. I don't think it was a win. I I was
0: excited for Victor Hovland. I'm not trying to take away from Victor Hovland's victory, T-Dub. I'm just saying that the season-long race should end at the Wyndham, and then we should have an actual playoffs where the Tour Championship doesn't get convoluted.
1: 100%. Or you have to do what they did did before with the point system, even when Tiger Woods won. Have a situation where Justin Rose, on the last hole, can get up and down and have a bunker to win the FedEx Cup. I thought that was pretty exhilarating stuff, and I don't understand why it was extremely complicated. Before, when we look at going into the window, and we look at like Justin Thomas, when he was trying to get into the top 70, he would make a bogey and drop out, or he make a birdie and jump in. I don't see why that's any different whenever you look at who would win the FedEx Cup and who wouldn't. I don't see why it has to be more complicated than that to do it. But here's an example of, of a way that you could change the system and make it better, or at least from what they have now. If you want to do some way to end the season in a dramatic fashion, instead of making it in the top 30 players, make it the top 32 and just do a double elimination match play tournament. In my opinion, that would be a lot more impressive way to end the season besides saying, oh, hey, Scottie Scheffler, you start at 10 under. Victor Ovlin, you start at 8 under. We're going to have five other guys start down there. At even par, you'll have a 10-shot lead over someone. I feel like that if you want to, to change it up a little bit, I think match play would be the perfect way to do it. That would be entertaining. My point
0: is, you know, the playoffs aren't really – Playoffs. They're just kind of continuing the season long points race. And I feel like some guys in the tour championship got bigger advantages than they should have. And the reason why they do the staggered scoring system isn't just so you can, you know, give Scotty Scheffler that advantage. It's so you guarantee that even on Sunday, Scotty Scheffler is up near the lead somewhere, even if he doesn't play good. He didn't. And he still finished, what, sixth in the golf tournament? That's why they do the staggered scoring system. Submits so it's
1: for TV. Oh, it's 100% right on that aspect of it for sure. And like I said, it does give you some incentive throughout the there year. You Whenever you're given $18 million to win the prize, that's what upsets me is that you're going to give $18 million in a handicap tournament. It, it, Woody, it's just, and to me, it, it's also too, the difference between first and second is, is uh, let me count this, $11.5 million is the difference between first and second. And like you said earlier, Hovland and Xander played, shot the exact same score. I agree. I think it had it not been, I still think Hovland would have won the tournament because he's the best player in the world, at least on this current day, in my opinion. But, Woody, $11.5 million, and you're starting it off with a, a, a handicap system. I, I, it blows my mind that this is how we had settled the end of the season. blows my mind.
2: It isn't good, guys. This, this is not the way you want this golf tournament and this year to end. I agree. They, they kind of, just, they just kind of screwed it up slowly but surely. You know what I mean? They didn't do it just overnight. It's been a constant little tweak here, tweak there, and before you know it. Now, now here's the question that I would love to ask of Victor Hovland. Does his caddy get 10 percent of the last two weeks if he does gentlemen he made 2.1 million dollars a 2.1 million dollars the last 14 days
0: that's That's unbelievable
2: unbelievable to me i mean arnold palmer didn't make two million dollars in his career
0: (laughs) no i I mean you're exactly right right, woody No, you're exactly right, and it's unbelievable money, deservedly so. Um, I just think the Tour Championship, and to wrap up that little discussion, to me, the Tour Championship is a storied event, but when you're doing the staggered scoring system, it's ruining the Tour Championship as a tournament in its own entity, and to me, the reason why they changed it was not only for TV but to make it less confusing, and it's actually more confusing when you start talking about how Victor, Victor shot 19 under, um, and so did Xander, but, you know, Victor ends up winning by five at, at 27 under. That's more confusing than just saying the guy that won the golf tournament, like the tour championship, the most famous tour championship back in 2018, the guy that wins the Golf tournament was uh, was Tiger Woods, and the guy that wins the FedEx Cup the season-long race is Rory McElroy. There was way less confusion about that than than this scoring system, Woody, I guess is my only point. I'm not trying to take away I, I from anything. I,
2: I, no, and I agree with you, Sam. I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. I guess, guys, if I had to take one thing from this golf tournament that, that spoke volumes to me besides Victor Hovland, kind of coming into his own, which is obvious he has done that. Did you watch when they were interviewing Jay Monahan? guys, by chance? They booed him. Of the course they did. When he was doing the announcement, they booed him. And it was clear the bell. Now, CBS covered it. It was the bell. The people in those stands around that tournament that day, they booed Jay Monahan.
0: Well, he's so, going to be out by the end of the year, I, Woody. He is. He has to be. I,
2: I, I, I don't know why I can't be. When I saw that, when I heard that and saw that, I was like, oh, my. I, I think people have had enough. So that's what I, I take two things from this. One is he's not looking very good. And the other is Victor Hovland is now what you want to call not just a world-class player, could possibly be the number one player in the world, guys.
0: And guys, I want to go back to Victor Hovland. T Dub, I gotta ask you this. Now he has six PGA tour wins. That's more than any other Oklahoma State golfer in the history of the school that has come out of Oklahoma State or that has Oklahoma ties for that matter. That's including all the OU guys as well. He has more PGA tour wins than any of those guys, plus a FedEx Cup. I know that Bob Tway has the major, and obviously, you know, Scott Verplank has been known as probably the best overall player from Oklahoma or with Oklahoma ties. To me, Victor Hovland just cemented himself, even though he's, what, 25 years old? To me, after winning back-to-back weeks plus the FedEx Cup, that, to me, he is the best player with Oklahoma ties of all time.
1: Well, if you think about it, classic like, Tiger-Jack debate in the sense of, if you want to talk about who had the longer career and had more longevity, it's obviously Jack. If you talk about who was the best in their absolute prime, undoubtedly it was Tiger Woods. And I feel like that it's similar in this situation where, yes, Scott and Bob have both had long, successful careers, and they did. Uh, Scott playing all the Ryder Cups that he did, and then Bob obviously with the major championship. But Hovland, the game that he's had these last two weeks, I don't think there's anyone ever with the state ties who could beat how good he is playing right now. Woody, to your point that you were talking about earlier, saying that you wouldn't want to play him in match play, I literally can't think of one golfer in the entire world that I'd be more scared of to play in match play right now than Victor Hovland. Guy Steffler, he can't putt, so I'm not giving him a three-footer to save my life. John Rahm can't drive the ball right now. Uh, Roy McIlroy crumbles under any type of pressure that he gets into. So, undoubtedly, right now, the last person, he that I'd want to play in match play and the Ryder Cup going forward is Victor Hovland. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out to
2: Oak Tree National right now. not that I can even play golf yet, but I wouldn't go out to Oak Tree National if he gave me 10 shots and I got to play from the green tees and he played the blacks. I wouldn't play him right now. This guy is on a heater of all heaters. And when you watch his golf swing, you know what's funny? As we talk about two of the best ball strikers, and yet both those guys, when you look at their golf swing, Scotty Scheffler's footwork always questioned, And Victor Howland, they'll tell you, he comes over the top of the ball. Okay, well, I'm starting to think about how do I get both those things going for me. I'm going to start sliding my right foot, and I'm coming over it. Because these two guys are striping the golf ball. Rory McElroy, which everybody, like I said, CBS, they might as well get a room every time he comes around. I mean, I've never heard so much butt-kissing in all my life. He can't hold a candle to these two guys as good as they can hit the golf ball. So, hey, I guarantee you, I can only hope for the American team that he takes the month off and goes to Chipotle a lot because if he doesn't, he's going to wear out whoever he's playing.
0: I mean, Woody, to your point, I don't think 10 shots is near enough. I mean, Scotty Scheffler gave Victor Auflin two shots this week, and Victor ends up 27 under, and and, and what did uh, Scheffler end up? 11 under, so it was a uh, 16-shot difference, even though Scotty gave him two, <laughs> Yeah,
1: 18-shot difference when you add it all up from the they just played. Yeah, so it's it's pretty crazy, too. With Like I said, Scotty Scheffler can't putt. For the event, he lost almost a shot and a half, on the greens, and Sheffield this week actually lost strokes in approach to green, which is something that you literally never see. So, yeah, it, it was definitely off. And that's one thing, to y'all's point, that is 100% true. With the exception of maybe John Rahm, the European team, almost every player is trending in the upward direction. And for the most part with the Americans, a lot of their players are trending down. So, if you look at that from that perspective, also going on four and soul, it is, right now, it is n- n- the least optimistic I've been for the Americans in the Ryder Cup, really since the last time that they won at, at Wesley Shrek. Well, I think I think this month's going to
2: tell you a lot. i, I got to tell you guys, I think they were tired. Victor didn't look tired. But a lot of our Americans just looked like they were worn out. Scotty Scheffler especially. I think Scotty Scheffler's so frustrated. You don't see Scotty Scheffler be short with the press very often. He was short with them this last week. He, he It was hotter than blue blazes. They're, I think they're tired. They all need to go and get some really some downtime uh, all the way through our whole team. I think we all, all of our American guys need to go home, relax, take a few days off unless you've got Thomas. He, he, I hope he's been practicing real hard. Uh, but I guess I think all of our guys need to just take a little break. Uh, that's me. That's what I saw, guys. You might have seen something
0: different. I agree with you on that, Woody. Um let's talk about one guy from the American team that I feel like gets overshadowed. That's Wyndham Clark. And he walked away from the FedEx cup with $5 million. And Fellas, I mean, his rise has been so quick. He, last year he was ranked in the 200s. Then, uh, you know, right around the time that he won at Quail Hollow, he wasn't even a shoe in to make the playoffs, much less the tour championship. And he ends up finishing third on the FedEx Cup points list. He's probably one of the guys on the American team playing the best. You got a bunch of guys on this American team that. Aren't necessarily playing your best golf, playing their best golf to T Dub's point. Um, guys, I, I feel like he's getting overshadowed a bit as we lead into the Ryder Cup, and it's really cool to see the former cowboy walk away with five million after this quick journey, but a long journey as well.
1: You're hundred percent right, Sam. You think that winning a US open would kind of get you a little bit more on the radar, but it hasn't, and he has not played bad golf even since and hasn't missed a cut since he won that US Open. His highest finish up until the playoffs was a 25th at the Genesis Scottish Open and, and four events, finished T33 at the British Open, finished 15th at the BMW last week, and then obviously finished third this week. And to the point, as I mentioned earlier, yes, a lot of Americans are trending down, but Wyndham Clark, I feel like, is heading in the right direction. One thing that's encouraging is that right after he won the U.S. Open, he wasn't putting very good, but the last three events, he's putted exceptionally, gaining more than, than three-quarters of a shot in all three of those events. At the FedEx St. Jude, where he finished 66 out of a T-66 out of 70 people. He drove it, and, and his Irons game was absolutely horrible. So there's nothing going on with his swing there. For the last two weeks, it seems like he's gotten it figured out on that end. So, yeah, Woody, I definitely think that Wyndham Clark is one of those guys who you wouldn't – if you would have said this six months ago or eight months ago, you would have felt like an absolute idiot. But Wyndham Clark, I feel like, has to be a catalyst for this American team in Rome.
2: Yeah, I, I hope he keeps playing as good as he's been playing. It, it's crazy that we had, we had two Oklahoma State guys first and third in this and and played really some fabulous golf coming down the stretch as well as Ricky Fowler. I've been bragging on the OU golf team so much lately. I've had a number of my OSU buddies give me a little green. So uh, uh, the pistol started firing uh, pretty well from as far as professional golf this summer. I think it's cool. I think think over the next few years we'll see more and more of the OU guys coming out. They're still young. Uh, We've got a little bit more age in the the Oklahoma State guys, not that Victor's that old, nor is Wyndham a little bit older than, but Victor's the youngest. So, i i look I look for a lot of uh, interesting talk in the next three weeks to to see what the golfing heads think about what's going to happen here in the end of September. But right now, we do know Wyndham Clark is going to need to keep playing well because there's a lot of guys on our American team that look like as you said they're trending a little bit the wrong
0: way yeah and so your final six for the the Ryder Cup were Scotty Scheffler Wyndham Clark Brian Harmon Patrick Cantlay Max Homa and Xander Shoffley those guys are going to be going to Rome the question now is tomorrow live on the Golf Channel on August 29th tomorrow we're recording on Monday night Zach Johnson will be making those six captains' picks, and the Guardian reported today that the final six picks will sound like this. Justin Thomas, Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Colin Morikawa, and then it said, additionally, multiple sources have indicated that the final pick will be Sam Burns. So that means that Cam Young and Lucas Glover and Keegan Bradley will get left out. If this Guardian report is true, T-Dub, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, with five of the picks, I absolutely agree with. I think those five are 100% in. The one that the outlier who we've been complaining about for months now, and I think I'm just going to have to get deep dive into it, but I want to list off how criminal this is if Justin Thomas is picked for the team, which it looks like he's going to be. The one thing I will say is that it seemed like a perfect storm needed to happen for, for JT to be picked. I feel like if Cam Young had made it to Eastlake and, and played well, I feel like that he would have been picked. Had Keegan Bradley even played a better yesterday than he did, I feel like that he would have been a great chance to be picked. Lucas Glover, had he played a little bit better the last two of uh, the BMW and the Tour championship, I feel like that he would have been picked. So I feel like a lot of things needed to happen for JT to be picked because no one else really stuck out, at least from the PJ tour guys to list off. But here, I'm just going to list some names of some players who are ranked analytically higher than Justin Thomas, who is currently sitting down at 58, the player analytically. Here's here's a list of players who are ranked higher than him. JT Poston is higher in the analytics than he is. Chris Kirk is higher. Harris English is higher. Adam Shank, Lucas Glover, who we talk about, Eric Cole, Sahithi Gala, Andrew Putnam are higher, and this is anyone even getting into names who we know who had a chance to be picked. Russell Henley is a 12th-ranked player analytically. He may not even gotten a phone call from Zach Johnson. Cam Young's ranked higher. Tony Fiena ranked a lot higher. Don't even get me started on live, guys. Bryson DeChambeau, Taylor Gooch would obviously be clear better picks. And even other live, guys, I'd rather have Patrick Reed right now. You could take the, the character inside the locker room if you want to into effect there, but actual game of golf, I'd rather have Patrick Reed. And even another guy. I'd rather have Harold Barnes a third right now than I would Justin Thomas of Live Guys. And here he's even the here's the definition of how you know Justin Thomas should not be on the Ryder Cup team. The the American who's ranked right above him would in the analytics is Steve Stricker. Steve Stricker's ranked higher analytically than Justin Thomas. If that's not a clear sign that J T is not cut out to be on this team right now, I don't know what is.
2: <laughs> it is. hard to argue with you, guys. I I agree with you because I know how you feel about this. You've made it clear, but I told you a long time ago that, that Justin Thomas was going to get on that team. You need to let it go. What I'm most excited about, guys, is I was I was really worried that they weren't going to put Brooks Kemp on the team. I, I told you guys one of the last podcasts. I said, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Well, I had some pretty good sources inside the PTA of America that there was a lot of uh, – people that said, don't you dare do that. Do not leave him off that team. And I I think, let me tell you something, I would not, I still would have think they were going to do it until, until here recently, they had a lot of people calling and bringing this to their attention. They just point blank told them, said, don't you dare do this. So, I know Kepka is going to make it now. I think he's going to make it. I sure hope he's going to make it. That's who I'm pulling for more than anybody. Of uh, those guys you just said Glover, uh, Keegan Bradley, I hate it for both those. I hate it for Cam Young too, but I, Cam Young just, when he didn't make it to the Tour Championship, I knew that wasn't good for him. Keegan Bradley the one I feel the most – sorry. well, I should say that. Both he and Lucas Glover. are both. This was their probably last chance, guys. I don't think they'll get on another team. I don't think they'll play good enough golf to get on another team. So, it's a big deal, I know, to both those guys. So, that's a travesty that they're not going to do it. But I think the Guardian, Sam, is that who you said, is, did this? I think they're spot on. I think that's your exact team that you'll see tomorrow morning.
0: Fellas, I think it's an impossible call for Zach Johnson to make to Keegan Bradley. Explain to me how I can play better than Justin Thomas all year, but somehow you guys are still going to pick Justin Thomas considering Keegan Bradley. I mean, Keegan Bradley this year, he had what four top fives and two wins. That's way better than anything. Justin Thomas did this year. Um, I think that's going to be an impossible call for Zach Johnson to make. And if they do end up taking Justin Thomas, and if this report is correct, and the U.S. loses again over across the pond like they have every single time since 1993, you take a player that obviously doesn't deserve it based on play, and you go over there and lose, Zach Johnson will go down as the worst Ryder Cup captain of all time, and there's been some bad ones CW.
1: Oh, there's absolutely no doubt about it that that's what more than likely will happen. Now, let's let's just say there's a scenario where JT goes over there and he has a really good week, and then okay, then that's going to make Zach Johnson's pick a lot better. But just to the point I made made earlier, listen off some names There are I just counted. If you if you take the top twelve that you just mentioned, who he thinks to be on the team, there are eighteen eighteen other Americans that are ranked higher analytically than Justin Thomas. Eighteen. That shows that. It's I, Okay, I get it. Yes, he's a nice locker room guy. There's a lot of people on the team that like him. Obviously, Spieth likes him. Obviously, Ricky Fowler likes him. They used to go on the little bros trips or whatever there is. And everyone else, Scotty's going to like him as well. So, there's a lot of a lot of things in there. But here's here's probably the main technical reason that I would not pick Justin Thomas on my team, would he? Scotty Scheffler, your best player on the team, cannot putt. Colin was playing really good lately, hitting the ball exceptional. Guess what he cannot do? Putt. The Americans need people who can putt. And what is Justin Thomas absolutely atrocious at, especially this year? Putting. You're going to add well, your last captain. You're going to pick someone who can't putt when you need putters. I think that that's not even just the fact that there's other players more deserving. It's the fact that you're taking a skill set when you base it around your other team. You think, yes, okay, like Max Homick is a good putter. Zander Schauffer is a great putter. You're going to pick Sam Burns on the team. He's a great putter. Brian Harmon's a great putter. But yet you, you have people on the team who can't putt. I feel like you need to add something else to that especially when other guys are more deserving so that's my biggest complaint Woody is you need people who can putt and match play and Justin Thomas is I could think of maybe probably 500 guys in the world I'd rather have hit a 10 footer for me right now than Justin Thomas
2: I think you're right and one of the things that scares me about the putting issue is you guys you think of all the years we've watched the Ryder Cup, and back in those early years with Europe was starting to dominate, and, and it frustrated me more than I could possibly say because I just wasn't used to watching it. Boy, what would they do every time? They'd rat hole more putts, and it didn't matter if it was on our soil, their soil. It didn't matter. They, they made a mountain of putts. I don't know how many feet. So what you're saying, D-Dub, is really the critical part. What changes the momentum, guys? What really changes momentum in a golf term?
0: It's make when guys part. make putts. Usually, we'll do it when
2: a guy makes putts. That changes the momentum. See Doug, You're right on the mark. Dude. Right on the mark. We don't have a lot of good putters,
0: so. And guys, to go to to know. go to this point, to go to both of your guys' point, listen to this on Data Golf for strokes gain putting rankings. Where do you think? Justin Thomas ranks on DataGolf, which includes live guys and includes all professional golfers. Where do you think that Justin Thomas is on the DataGolf rankings for strokes gained putting, T-Dub?
1: What's crazy about it is you look at it straight up. He's got to be worse than Scotty Scheffler is, especially considering his last, let me count here, his his last eight strokes gained tournaments, he only gained putting in two of them. And over the course of the last 15 tournaments, he only gained in about three of them. So, no, I think it's absolutely horrible. He's got to be in the
0: 250s. He's not in the 250s. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, by the way, is 256. Justin Thomas is 168. But the guy that they're going to leave off, apparently, Keegan Bradley, a lot of people might say, oh, you know, he's struggled putting his entire career. Not this year. In 2023, he's gained a half shot on the field per round on the greens, and Keegan Bradley ranks 30th in strokes gained putting on Data Golf. Justin Thomas ranks 168. Let's forget about Scheffler, who's terrible on the greens, but it's not even a comparison between Bradley and Thomas on the greens.
1: I said, like, to what you guys were saying earlier, the momentum shift in match play whenever you make a putt, whenever you can make. The fifteen footer for par, and the other guy has the eight footer for birdie and misses it. That's the kind of things that they that they get the momentum completely switched. Or if you have a you're right by two balls right beside each other, the first in usually makes a type situation. So if you have a fifteen footer, you make that putt. The guy has a fourteen footer. It's a lot more likely that he's going to miss it. At least from what I what I've seen. That's not necessarily analytically proven. That just tends to be what happens in match play. So yeah, that's there's just a a list of reasons to not pick Justin Thomas on this team and. Probably another reason that we need to talk about. I, I get that you're going to have Bruce Kepka on the team as a live guy. I get that. And he he should he 100% should be on the team. But you're legit telling me that you, you would rather have Justin Thomas right now than Bryson DeChambeau who shot a 58 a couple of weeks ago or Taylor Gucci's won four times around the world. It's it's absolutely mind-blowing to me that, that that that's the world that we live in with. And hold on, hold on. Great
0: point, P dub because Woody, listen to this. Taylor Gooch had 18 less opportunities to get points that counted toward these Ryder Cup standings this year. Justin Thomas played in 18 more tournaments that counted than Taylor Gooch did. And, and Brooks Kepka 17 and Bryson 17 less opportunities than Justin Thomas had and somehow you're going to take Justin Thomas instead of DeShambeau or Taylor Gooch. By the way, Gooch, everyone's like, oh, he has no chance. All he did was win more times around the world than any other american this year well yeah, I, I, all that is true but you know what the
2: the, the guys that don't like live you know what they'll say to you on that sam and i'm i'm not trying to make you mad here dude they're gonna say hey they made that choice they made the choice to go to live that's why they didn't get those 18 tries or those 17 more tournaments it's their own fault
0: what I would say back is then the U.S. is making the choice to not take their best team across the pond and try to win for the first time since 1993.
2: And it might work out that, you know what, if they get their butts handed to them, Sam, you're going to have a heck of an argument for all those guys that have that other argument. And, and you know what's funny, guys, is we can we can analyze this to death. The reason Justin Thomas is on that golf team, and, and we say he's on that golf team, we don't know for sure. We're pretty doggone sure, but the reason he's on there is his Ryder Cup record. That's what they put all these eggs in that basket. They act like there's some magic potion when this guy's been struggling all year. This week, when he goes to the Ryder Cup, all of a sudden. The golf gods are going to go, yes, Justin Thomas, you're a Ryder Cup player. I don't believe it. I think it's bogus. He might surprise us all. I sure am not thinking he's going to, guys. This could be really ugly the end of September, our podcast after the Ryder Cup. I'm not sure I want to come on because you two might throw something that will go all the way out of Oklahoma <laughs> to Zach Johnson's house. Or Frisco, Texas. America. I don't know where you're going to throw, but it, it's going to be ugly for you two if we get handed a whooping whooping.
1: To, to Woody's point, Justin Thomas does have a 6-2-1 and record, so that is probably the reason he's going to be on there. But, but just listen to how this sounds, just the way that I phrase this. You're going to pick the 58th-ranked player analytically over the 12th-ranked analytical player. Is, does that not just sound absolutely asinine to do? And that is what's going to happen. The 12th-analytic player is Russell Henley, who's, the, like I said, probably not even going to get a call, but let's just change it to Keegan Bradley. You're going to pick the 58th-ranked player analytically over the 20th-ranked player. Anyway, you just say that to anyone, and they're like, you're such an idiot. There's no way. That you did. Imagine being in a fantasy football draft coming up. Everyone's doing fantasy football. You take the 58th player on their board instead of the 20th player on the board when he's there. Everyone look at you and they laugh at you for years that you did something like that. And what happens is, hopefully, we live in a perfect world and Justin Thomas comes out and just plays great at the Ryder Cup. Then we won't have any discussions. But if, it, but if that doesn't happen, then yes, he, Zach Johnson will be ridiculed probably till the end of time. He will be in the echelon of Hal Sutton if things do not go well in Rome.
0: No, it's exactly right, and apparently we're picking Justin Thomas for charity, acting like this is some exhibition event against, you know, the team that played the Harlem Globetrotters, fellas. This is a big-time name-brand team in the Europeans. you got Rory and Rom and Hovland and Hatton and Fleetwood and Fitzpatrick. you got guys like Justin Rose and Shane Lowry, Sepp Strzok, who made the Tour Championship. These guys can play. We don't need to just be picking guys for charity. Well, 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 but you got to remember, this
2: is uh, the American way these days. We Everybody gets a trophy, Sam. Dustin Thomas is such a nice guy. He deserves
0: to go. Good God. I guess so. That's and sarcasm, we'll, boys. That's well, <laughs> sarcasm. That, that's sarcasm. <laughs> no, it sounds like something <laughs> that yes, they would have said in that meeting. You know, it, let's let's do they this. They did. They did say it in that meeting. <laughs> well, let's do this. We'll <laughs> We'll talk more about this tomorrow after the Ryder Cup picks are officially made. We're also, by the way, going to have Parker Sands on the podcast tomorrow as well. So stay tuned for more Ryder Cup talk, but we got to move forward here, fellas. We had the 109th Oklahoma Open going on this past weekend at Oak Tree East Course, and Blaine Hale, the former Sooner, ends up winning by one shot over another former Sooner, Max McGreevy. Blaine shoots 16 under for the three rounds, 64-66, 64-194 for Blaine Hale. Max McGreevy, 15 under, 65-65, 65. 65. How about that for consistency, fellas? Um, But it was a great finish. Blaine shoots 30 on the back nine. We'll talk more about the Oklahoma Open after the break and talk about Blaine Hale's final nine and how, Uh, awesome that was for Blaine to be holding that 109th Oklahoma Open trophy. Max McGreevy has a big fall coming up. He obviously finished outside the top 125 on the PGA Tour, so he needs to play some solid golf in these fall events. We also had another PGA Tour player, the guy that finished 74th on the FedEx Cup list, Austin Ekro. He finishes tied for 11th in the golf tournament at nine under par. And Austin is also going to have a big fall in. In those fall events because he is trying not to keep his tour card like Max is, but Austin Ecrow is trying to get into those signature events, and he needs to get in the top 70 to do that, and that's a difference of millions of dollars in money, so good luck to Austin Ekro going forward. It was good following Austin with his dad, Steve Ekro out there, um, but like I said, T-Dub, I got to get your thoughts on on uh, not only Blaine and Max battling it out in the Oklahoma Open for the championship, but in round two, we had Parker Sands, a high school kid, going into his senior year at Edmond North, who is verbally committed to the University of Florida, defending national champions. But Parker Sands shoots 72, two over par in the first round, and then shoots 59 in the second round. T-Dub, that has to be the greatest feat For a high school kid in the history of the state of Oklahoma, the only thing that I can think even compares is when Austin Eckrode, ironically enough, uh, won the state championship in 6A as a freshman. I I mean,
1: 59 in the Oklahoma Open in a professional event? Are you kidding me? few things in the game of golf are better than shooting a score with a five as the first number, let alone in the biggest tournament that occurs in the state. It it truly was a special thing to see. And What was crazy about it, you look at it, he improved on his first round by 13 shots and he shot 72. So It's just absolutely mind blowing to think about. And as we, as I've detailed before, detailed on the radio show, you know, playing at Oklahoma Christian, I played at the, the East Course five days a week whenever, for a three, four year stretch. So I, I know that course like the back of my hand. And the, the thought of even someone going 64, 66, 64 in three rounds is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like, maybe, yes, if you brought the best players, you brought, you had the tour championship out there that we had this week, Victor Hovland could probably go 64, 66, 64. But, yet yeah, to, to have so many players be dip, double digits under par for three rounds on that golf course, and then to have a 59-shot 11-under, Woody, it, it, it shows how great these golfers are. I, I get that, yes, the, the course was a little bit soft, and there wasn't as much wind as you usually have. But to shoot some of the numbers that we saw shows how much talent there is in the game of golf at this moment. I was just amazed when you
2: sent that text message to me saying we have to get Parker Sands on the show, and I said why? And I said you say she's fifty nine. I went, excuse me. I said high school kid. So I, you know what, I, guys? I'd like to tell you it's all about the equipment. But no, it's just about golfers are just getting better. They're just it doesn't matter. They're all they work out now um they practice harder than what they used to i mean it's just um it's just never ending how much better golf is getting at every level so i i just look at that oklahoma open and remember a long time ago when i used to play in it I didn't see anybody shooting sixteen, fifteen under. If if you got double digits, you really blistered that golf course because that Oak Tree East golf course is no pushover.
0: So it's obviously you know, different I, now I guess, with the distance and everything. That some holes are wedges where they used to be eight irons, but to shoot sixteen under, to shoot fifty nine, you got to make putts, right, Woody?
2: Yeah. Well, here we go back to that same thing we've been talking about. How about that putting? Uh, and and I think. You know what separates? You're getting ready to have uh, Blaine on, Sam, when we talk to him. The difference between the Corn Ferry and the PGA is so minute. The difference between mini tour golf and the Corn Ferry is so minute. You guys tell us all the time about these analytics and these stats where they pick up 0.16, whatever. Right? You know, I'm putting for a round. You think, really? That makes that much of a difference? Yeah, it does in four rounds. It sure does. So one shot, one shot, one shot. It's it make and break. We've told, I've told you guys all kinds of stories. I miss going to the Masters by one shot three times. Okay? Golf is very vicious. And when you think about the level of play now at all levels, how good it is, and there's really 125 guys exempt on the PGA Tour, yeah, that's not very many people, is it, guys?
0: No, you're exactly right, and the players are getting better. I mean, we had an amateur who plays his college golf at Oral Roberts, Preston Richardson, the amateur from Mount Vernon, Missouri. He finishes solo fourth at 13 under par. We got an amateur in the top five, and then, uh, by the way, Parker Sands end up Ended up finishing it tied for 8th. He shot 72-59-69. Talk about a roller coaster of emotions there. Finishes at 10-under, tied for 8th place. And this was a story-filled Oklahoma Open, fellas. The last thing i got to talk about that I've never seen in a golf tournament in all my years is that Carson Griggs from Sand Springs, Oklahoma, who played his college golf at the University of Denver, Goes out in the first round and makes a hole-in-one on number six on the east course. And in the second round, he makes a hole-in-one on number eight on the east course. Carson Griggs ends up finishing tied for sixth at 11 under par. Shoots another 65 in the final round without an ace. Uh, tough round in the final round with no aces. But Carson Griggs, back-to-back days, having a hole-in-one.
1: I said this on the radio show yesterday. It's fairly disheartening playing as many hours of golf as I have in my lifetime, hitting probably a trillion golf balls. And I have made two hole-in-ones in my entire life. I've made two. And this guy makes two hole-in-ones in two days. It just completely just ties what I have done. He did it in 48 hours, what I've done in 48 billion hours, essentially. So it is a little bit disheartening on that end, What especially for, for some people who play their entire lives and not made a hole-in-one before as well. So th- to see two of them happen in two days, it's really special for the great for Mr. Griggs. That's absolutely outstanding for him to happen. But as for someone who plays golf and you look at it and you kind of envy it and you say, "Damn it, I sure wish that I could do make that happen."
2: Well, yeah, I think you just irritated a lot of our listeners when you were whining about only having two. There's going to be a lot of people that never had one that aren't going to like you did. I want you to know that. Okay, I just want to make that clear to you. I know that. You but, but Woody, four.
1: Woody, the point is very few people have hit as many golf balls, in their life. at least up to the age of 30 years old. Very few people have hit as many golf balls as I am. So it's not necessarily the age. It's about as much as you put in. There probably have been some people who have played for 50 years who do not have one. So, yes, I, I will accept if those people want to be mad at me because I do understand.
2: Well, at least she didn't double down by saying because they're crummy golfers, okay? <laughs> There's a lot of crummy
0: golfers on. that have more holes in one than a lot of <laughs> professional golfers.
2: Uh, isn't that the truth? So when it comes to that, I, I, I was thinking this young man when he was on the, the par 3 the third day, is he just waiting for the next one? I would be. I would be thinking, well, I got this figured out. Heck, I got make one every round. So hole-in-ones are like everything in golf. They come when you least expect it, and once you think they're going to be or start taking them for granted, they will stop completely and never come back again. It's called the Golf Gods. We've talked about it a lot on our show, and they're there. Trust me, they're there. They blessed him this last week. He better not take it for granted because he might not ever make another one.
1: Real quick point I want to make about that, talking about how crazy it is for hole-in-one, two different stories. A few years ago, Bryson DeChambeau made a hole-in-one on 16 at Augusta. It was the first hole-in-one that he had ever made in his entire life. And think about how much golf he had played. The second one, which is probably the craziest, I uh, I saw a video of Tiger talking about this the other day. Tiger's made how many holes-in-one in in his life? Probably like 20 or something like that. He has not made a hole-in-one since 1999. The best golfer of all time has not made a hole-in-one this millennium. So, if that doesn't give people a little bit of hope, I don't know
0: what does. That's right. That is absolutely right. We need to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole podcast. After the break, you're going to hear from the Oklahoma Open champion, Blaine Hale, who shot 16 under par and won $10,750 at the Oklahoma open the former sooner coming up after the break. But before we hit a break, I got to tell everybody to go hit the subscribe button or the follow button on Apple podcast. It's absolutely free and it just helps us out. And it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode like this one with Blaine Hale. We have Parker Sands coming up. Later in the week, who shot the 59, and we'll have a ton of great interviews over this winter time, the quote unquote off season, even though very short in the game of professional golf. But we will get these guys on the podcast during this off season. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, you can also catch that on golfoklahoma.org. Or the sportsanimal.com podcast page. And you can also follow us on social media at the 73rd hole on Twitter and at 73rd hole on Instagram as well. T Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd hole podcast. After the break, Blaine Hale, former Sooner and Oklahoma Open champ.
1: Hey everyone, T Dub here. want to take a second to tell you about my good friends.
0: we're back here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Speaking of Golf Oklahoma, you can read an article on this Next guest, who just won the Oklahoma Open. That's one-third of the Burley Boys. You remember him from the University of Oklahoma. That's Blaine Hale, who Blaine, he goes out this week at Oak Tree East at the Oklahoma Open and shoots 16 under par. 64-66-64 to shoot a final total of 194. He clips his former teammate, Max McGreevy, by one shot. And Blaine, that's where I want to start is on that back nine, you go out and shoot 30 on that back nine to finish out and shoot a 64, but you had clutch birdies at 16 and at 18. Just take me through that final nine battling Max McGreevy and, and a slew of guys who were in that group at, you know, 10, 11 under around the turn.
3: Hey guys, thanks for having me on. No, I, I that back nine was, it was a ton of fun. Just going kind of toe to toe with Max. He, uh, we kinda of were just throwing punches back and forth. He made a great par putt uh on the tenth hole and I kind of I was like, Okay. I, I just know Max and I know when Max's putter gets rolling, he doesn't really miss much. So I knew it was gonna be kind of that type of back nine and I was gonna need to buckle up and do it. So we uh we both made birdies on eleven, um both made birdies on twelve and we both made about ten footers on um thirteen and then fourteen was obviously playing tough and made good pars there. Max almost made it on 15. Hit it, hit it in there about four or five feet. Um, made a birdie to get all tied up. And so, 16, I hit a good shot um, to about three, probably three feet. Um, and Max hit, I think, probably the shot of the tournament. He hit a punch kind of shot underneath this tree, and it landed just short of the ridge and killed it in the ridge. And then tripled over the, oh, kind of over the ridge and rolled down to. If I hit it to three feet, it, he hit it to two and a half. It was. It was an unbelievable shot. Um, 17 was playing so tough back in the wind, and he hit hit first, hit it to about 30 feet, and then I hit it inside him to about 20 feet. We both made par, and then 18 was was basically close to the pin contest. We both drove it right next to each other. Um, I was about a yard in front of him, and he hit it to about 20 feet. I hit it to about 12, and I I was lucky enough that my putt went in and and had been so. It was, it was a fun fun last nine holes, uh, kind of going back and forth from
1: that. Well, I mean, Just talk to us about how the course played all week. I, I'm playing college golf at Oklahoma Christian. I play that course every single day in university. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the thought of going 1,600 through three rounds out there to me when I played was absolutely improbable. And then you have the likes of, like you said, yourself are 16 shooting 1,600 for three rounds. Parker Sands shoots at 59 in the second round. Yeah. So just talk to us about how the course played. Are you guys really just that good now, or do they have it set up a little bit easier?
3: I wish that was the case, but uh you know it it wasn't very windy any of the days, um you know, just like Oklahoma, the wind picks up you know for thirty minutes here or there, but it was never a constant wind um and the greens were soft, which when the greens are soft, like that um you know you're not worried about the ball kind of getting away from you, so you could really go out a lot of the pins. Um, but the greens are also good. It was a kind of a weird combination where they were soft but they stayed smooth. So um they were real make they were like a really make speed. They're a little bit on the slower side, maybe the what like Max or Echo they're used to. Pretty similar to what we're used to week to week playing mini tour stuff, but um you could really be aggressive with your putts and not be too afraid of them getting away from you. So I think I think kind of the name of the game was that it kind of felt like if you if you wanted to, you could go at any pin, and you could make burger on any hole. And so that's where you get 1600 from. Is this the biggest professional tournament you've won, or do you feel like you've won something that's bigger than this? Um, it's not the biggest, it's not the biggest check I've ever won, but I'd say it's probably the best tournament I've ever won, if that makes sense, uh, as far as field goes and um, prestige of just the Oklahoma Open. You know, it's it's special for me to win a tournament like that where. You know, my dad grew up in Edmond. Um, from about fifth grade on, he actually had ended up going to Oklahoma State. So, Oklahoma has been a special place for me. You know, it's where I went to school, and um, I have just got a bunch of buddies that are in Edmond, and we had a great time. You know, after the tournament, hanging out at you know my friend Hayden Wood's house. So, it was just special to be to be back in a place. Um, you know, where my dad learned to play golf. You know, he learned to play at Kicking Bird growing up. You know, he picked the range at the morning in the mornings. Um, as a you know, junior hire, so it was it was special for me that I had some of his buddies out there watching me, and um, kind of felt like a home away from home event.
0: Blaine, I, I want to go back to that final nine, and obviously, like I said, you shot 30 on that final nine, but right around the turn, there were so many guys, Whether I think there were six guys even at 11 under par at one time. Were you looking at the leaderboard, um, and did you know where you stood headed into that final nine? And if so, what was your mindset to keep making birdies with so many guys grouped up right around the lead?
3: Yeah, for me... I uh, you know I uh didn't get off to a great start. I bogeyed two and three the final round. Um, one of them was just a bad bogey. The other one, I I hit a good par putt and it just missed out. Um, But for me, walking off the third green, I was kind of like, hey, let's just get it back under par. Let's just shoot an under par front nine. And then just, you know, if you get in a groove on the back, this just what kind of has to happen. I think, in my mind, the number, being at 10 under, I thought that Fourteen was probably going to be a good number to be at. Fifteen would be um, probably a win. And so I knew kind of if I could get to some, something under par on the front, I was going to have to go play great on the back. But yeah, I'm, I made an eagle on the fourth hole, which I hit probably one of the best shots of the week—a um, four iron uh, to about ten feet and made uh, made the putt. And so and then I bur- ended up burning nine to shoot one under the front. So I was like, okay, let's you know, I did what I wanted to do on the front. Uh, what can happen on the back and so um that was kind of my mindset of just it's, it's something under par to kind of stay in it and then see you know you, you go have a great back nine just like what Victor Hovland did two weeks ago um you go have that great nine that kind of runs away with the tournament and so um but then I could tell Max was kind of turned it up and so I just was trying to truly match him shot for shot
1: and we've been fortunate enough on this podcast to have a lot of former and even current Oklahoma Sooners come on and tell us some stories. And every single one of them seems to have a, a very unique story to tell about the coach, Ryan Hibble. So if you, have, if you can, you can think of maybe just one that sticks out to you. What's something that,
3: that Coach Hibble did that really resonates with you to this day? Yeah, I'm trying to think of something. I'm trying to think of a good funny story. I can't I've, – I've got a lot that they might be better shared off. Off air, um, <laughs> I, I, I truly have nothing uh, but good things to say about Coach Hill. He's he's the best coach. I think he's the best coach in the country. And he, you know, his his dad called me this afternoon to congratulate me on on a win. Which you know, what Coach's dad is doing that. So he just he's he's a great family. His his wife is amazing. His two girls are great. Um, coach Hill will treats his players so well. He treats his recruits so well. But he really takes care of his former players. Um, you know, driving up to to Edmonton on Tuesday, I stopped and had lunch um, with Coach, and you know, we sat there and talked for two hours. Um, just we didn't even talk about golf really; we just talked about life and you know how he was doing and how you know the team was going to you know, the team was coming along. So he just he takes really good care of um, not only his players but his former players, and that's something I really appreciate to feel like I'm still part of the program and you know that he still cares. He was one of the first guys that texted me um, when I looked at my phone after you know after I finished on the last poll. So I'm just thankful for um, his leadership of what OU golf is.
0: Blaine, I'm curious. Now, how did Coach Hibble convince a kid from Texas whose dad went to Oklahoma State to go to OU? What was his recruiting <laughs> pitch to you?
3: You know, it was funny. When I went, the whole recruiting story for me was pretty crazy. I you know, I grew up an Oklahoma State fan and wanted to go to Oklahoma State um, as a kid. He walked in my room, it was all orange and swinging teeth. And so, when I even considered going to look at OU, my dad was like, I don't think so, I'm not going to go. <laughs> and so my mom was actually up convincing him to uh, to go on the visit with us. And Sir Tibble was just unbelievable on our visit. And I remember sitting in his office kind of at the end of our visit and I was like I just had a feeling of like this is it this is right this is what it should be and you know we got in the car to drive home that, that evening and we get in the car my dad's sitting there and no one's really saying anything and I think we all kind of knew that OU was going to be the right spot and we pull out of the parking lot we're about half a mile down the road again well I didn't expect that because he knew it right then that, that OU was the place for me and now he's the biggest OU fan he's bigger OU fan than I am so he coached him what he it doesn't take you long to realize how great of a coach he is and how how great of a man he is to uh, uh, want to go play and, you know, go play for him. So uh, it, it didn't take much. He he was honestly just himself, and it was good enough for us.
2: I got to ask you, since you didn't have a good Hibble story, and I appreciate that you didn't want to roll your coach under the bus, <laughs> at least not something that we could hear. I uh, This is a little FYI for you. Uh, my nephew is Tyler Woodward, who's now the general manager at OU that was
3: the head guy. Oh, yeah. OU. I so, saw Tyler on Friday night.
2: Okay, so go ahead and tell us a funny Tyler story. Roll him under the bus, because I got to hear this.
3: It'll give me some great
2: ammunition.
3: <laughs> well, I think, let's see. He They host the pretty sweet tailgate. They host a pretty sweet tailgate. That's um, the Jimmy Austin tailgate. And we would always, go there before the game. And I remember one time, you know, they have plenty of drinks, plenty of refreshments, Cokes, that sort of thing, you know. And we were uh we were not afraid to take an extra Coke or two um, when we took up to the to to the tailgate. So I think one time he got on this he goes, You guys are gonna come and drink all of our quote unquote Coke. You need to bring your own next time. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's good so we, stuff. Like, that, that sounds so like
2: see, my nephew right there. For the, the next
3: me, you, for, for, the, for the... Every time I've been since, I make sure and bring a six-pack of, of Coke.
0: <laughs> Always bring your own Coke. Uh, exactly. Blaine, I got to ask. So, obviously... You gained national notoriety when you were at the University of Oklahoma, um, but what has that journey been since 2019 when you graduated? Obviously, you just won a huge mini-tour check, which ten, over $10,000 this week by winning the Oklahoma Open, but mini-tour life is really tough. Just take us through that journey after you graduated from OU to now.
3: Yeah, so I got done in, in 2019, and um, I went basically my first tournament with Q School, and I ended up missing it at second stage by by one shot, which if I would have made it the final stage, I would have had corn fairy status. And so um, I kind of left that week being like, okay, I'm good enough, um, but I was still so young and still so unpolished. So I was like, you know, it'll be good to have a year of maybe playing a developmental tour or um, playing mini tours or something like that. So you know, I wasn't super discouraged. And so, but as we know, twenty twenty year old around and COVID hit, and so it really. It really put a pause on professional golf, um, as far as gaining status for about two years. So, um, you know, 2020 was just, they didn't even have to school. And then 2021, um, they had it, but I had unfortunately just not played well. So it kind of felt like a, a waste of two years. Um, and not even a waste. I learned a ton and, um, I met my wife in that time. So it was definitely not a waste, but it was, as far as professional golf goes, I didn't further my status um but then last year i just i i missed it first day by one shot um and so then you know this year i've been playing many tours and it's definitely a grind uh you're traveling you're i mean you're driving all over a central part of the country um playing and you, know, you, you finish a tournament on saturday because most of them finish to where you can get to the monday qualifier and then you drive to the monday um that night play a practice round sunday and you play a you, know, you play a money qualifier and then it, if you don't make it you're back in the car driving to the next tournament play a fracture on tuesday and the tournament starts wednesday so uh it's definitely a different life where um you don't have a ton of downtime at times you're kind of going everywhere um but i've been thankful to have some good buddies that um uh, we've been able to travel together and make some fun um yes it's definitely a grind it's, it's not, it's not the most glamorous thing you tell someone that uh, you're playing professional golf.
1: Blaine, well, take us back to the 2017 National Championship if you can. Everyone remembers Brad Dalkey coming down and winning the, the final point for him, but you were actually the first to get a point on the board that day. You beat Norman Jong from, from Oregon, who actually the next year was the Haskins Award Player of the Year. So as standing win, you were able to get there. So just take us back to that day and what were, obviously besides winning the, the National Championship, what are some things that stuck out
3: to you that day? Yeah, it was, I think our biggest, you know, the biggest thing is us getting best Baylor. Um, I felt like Baylor was a very similar team to us where they were, they had five guys that were all very good players, no necessary, like, stud. I mean, we obviously had studs, but they were just five very solid across-the-board players. Um, and so I think that's why we were good in match play is because every match was going to be tough for us. But yeah, going into that final match, getting paired against Norman, it was definitely intimidating. He was, I mean, he was and still is one of the better players um, that we've seen in college. And I've always kind of felt like I thrived in match play, um, which is maybe why I played well this week, because it was kind of like match play with Max go, kind of going back and forth. You know, he made a play that I needed to make one on top of him. So I've always felt like my game translates better in match play for some reason. And uh, I just played really solid, um, kind of just kept trying to apply the pressure to him. And I remember telling Brad... Um, that day, I said, I'm going to see you on 11. Because 15 was kind of crossed over where 11 crossed. Walking the twelve team, you kind of had to walk past 15 green. And we were telling Bradley, hey, I'm going to see you on 11. I'm going to watch you in, on your back line And he goes, okay. And I, I ended up closing him out on 15. And I ended up getting to watch Brad, um, you know, play the last five holes, which to me was almost more special than playing the match for some reason. Just getting to watch um hear the boomer sooner chance throughout the course and kind of get to take it in as a fan as much as a player
2: if you were going to be a, uh, a a kind of a mind reader or what you could see the future what do you see happening for your golf career in the next two to three years
3: if i could if i could lay it out for you i would you know roll through key school this year uh, make it through first second and make it the final stage and um Play well enough at final stage to, to get status on the coin creature for next year and then um, play well and finish in that top 30 and then, you know, be on the PGA Tour come, what would that be, 2025? So if I could, if I could teed up, that's, that's how I would, that's how I would tee it up for myself. But obviously we don't know how, you know, what all has a sore, uh, what golf has a sore just because it's such a difficult game. And so, I'm kind of just thinking day by day of, you know, how can I get better today um, and be ready for tomorrow?
0: Blaine, expand on that a little bit about mini-tour golf. And I feel like a lot of even casual golf fans out there don't realize how fine of a line it is between the guys we see on TV, whether it be Corn Ferry or the PGA Tour, and the guys – on the all pro tour. I mean, we see guys like Sam Stevens or Josh Creel make it from the all pro tour and then go on to great things on the PGA tour. Just talk about that fine line and how good the competition is on these mini tour events, especially since COVID.
3: Yeah. I feel like, like we talked about COVID really minimized a lot of opportunities. I think, you know, it took away PGA Tour China. It, um, it has given guys, you know, for those first couple of years, it gave guys status for two years. There was no turnover for two years. So, um it definitely took, took you know, COVID's kind of taken away some opportunities, I think, at times. Um But, I mean, you see it even with a guy like Zach Boshu this year, you know, started the year with no status, got into Wichita, um, you know, finished top five, and then parlayed that into a couple more good weeks, and now he's 80-something on the points list, and if he has one more good week, he's going to lock up the Clunkberry card for next year, Um not even have to go to key score. Or if he, if he were to win, he could potentially get a, get a tour card. So it shows you, you know, golf, especially for, for good, I mean, Coach Hill always said, good golf takes care of itself. And so that's kind of something that I've tried to kind of keep in my brain when I am playing any small kind of mini tour events is, hey, if you're playing good golf, Either one, people will take notice, or two, um, it'll just elevate yourself. You know, those years that Sam was playing on the off course he he beat us like a drum every week, and it's like now he's doing it on the PGA tour, which is encouraging because it's like this guy. You know, I used to hang with him when I when my when I was playing my good golf against Sam, I was hanging with him. So it's like what what makes me think I can't do that at a higher level. So uh, the off course tour has done a great job of just having four day tournaments and keeping you close to the money qualifiers that you know you can't have that once in a lifetime break um and kind of get status that way. So um it's been r it's been a really it's been an eye opening thing to see Sam um play as well and and truly really Zach this this last really couple months of seeing how he's turned kind of nothing into status pretty quickly. So it can it can change on a you know flip of a coin.
1: I believe at the time of this recording we have five days until the first Oklahoma Sooners football game, so I just want to know, what is your outlook for this 2023 season, going the year before we go in the SEC? Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the second year of Brent Venables?
3: You know, I'm, I'm optimistic about about Venables. I don't really am. I think, he's, I think he's the right guy. I think most Sooners fans are expect greatness which they should, because OU is greatness, and they win championships. And so it is hard for an OU fan to see losses. But I was pretty pessimistic until last week and I talked to Coach Hebble and he had been in practice for a couple of days and he had seen uh he gave me some good some good feedback of how the team's looking. So they're looking bigger, they're looking stronger, they're looking more SEC like versus, you know, kinda of smaller speed style that we had going for a few years with being in the Big Twelve, so I am optimistic. I'm I'm moving towards optimism with uh some of the recruits we brought in, um and kind of the things I've heard from some guys closer to the program. So I think uh I think if we won, you know, ten games and as long as we beat the Pokes, you know, as a last hurrah, I'll be happy with this season.
0: No doubt about it. And it's it's good news that Hibble sees SEC size out there because the speed just gave up 28 points to San Jose State a couple nights ago. Um, anyways.
3: Yeah, that's not changing. <laughs>
0: exactly. Blaine, Blaine I got to <laughs> ask. I, I mean, we've had Brad and we've had, uh, we, we've had Quaid on, we've had Hibble on, but we haven't had you on until now. Now I got to ask, how did the Burley boys name come about for you guys in college? I'm just curious.
3: Yeah, so the, the Burly Boys came from, I can't remember what the rapper's name was. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was this video and he was driving at Bentley and he was a, he was a bigger guy and he like put the camera on himself and he put it on the Bentley sign and he goes, the B stands for Burly. And then he like went back and he like did some face or made some laugh and uh, he goes, I'm a Burly boy now. And then he, you know, of the video and Quade sent it to Brad and I go, dude, like, that's us. We're the Burley Boys. And then it really took off when we were on, um, Driven, the TV show on Golf Channel. Our, um, cameraman that was with us for that, that whole semester just kind of, he, he just kind of loved the whole Burley Boy thing. So I think he really like kind of dove into it and, you know, put it more on maybe a national spotlight. Um, then maybe it would have gotten just, that's three idiots calling ourselves the bully Boys.
0: <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, T W got anything else before we get out of here?
1: Hi, Blaine, just want to say congratulations on winning the Oklahoma Open, as you mentioned earlier, it's just one of the more prestigious for anyone who has any ties to Oklahoma knows how big an accomplishment it is to so do it. And I tell you what, if you keep shooting sixteen hundred for three rounds, you'll be on the PJ tour sooner
3: rather than later. <laughs> That's True, yeah. Just need to bottle that up. <laughs> no doubt
1: about
0: it. So you're going to Muskogee for uh Q school, right? Yeah. Going to Muskogee for Q-School. Well, good luck, Blaine, Oklahoma Open champion in 2023. That has to feel good. Not only the big-time trophy with all those great names from Oklahoma on it as well, but you walk away with over $10,000. That's a solid week. Well, how about this? How about we have you on again after you go out and you win Q-School, Blaine, all right? i'll be i'll be waiting on the phone call all right sounds good i appreciate it blaine hale former sooner and 2023 oklahoma open champion here on oklahoma's leader in golf the 73rd hole podcast